The combative federal election is now finally behind us, but the legal fallout continues. A number of complaints could be heading to the Court of Disputed Returns. ABC News and Current Affairs has been reporting that Labor plans to challenge the Liberals' likely victory in the Melbourne seat of Chisholm. Labor's gripe is with the how-to-vote information posted by Liberal candidate Gladys Liu on WeChat, a Chinese social media platform. It appears that Labor is claiming that the messaging was misleading and deceptive because it told voters to vote one for Miss Liu and, quote, copy exactly to avoid an informal vote. Meanwhile, the unsuccessful independent candidate for the Melbourne seat of Kuyong, Oliver Yates, is lodging a complaint about Chinese-language posters at polling booths in both Kuyong and Chisholm. So in relation to the electorate of both here, Higgins and Chisholm, the Liberal Party put up a Chinese sign printed in the colours of the AEC right next to many, many of the signs next to the polling station signs saying the correct voting method in big headlines is to mark down one beside the Liberal Party on the green ballot paper. This was a direction to vote which was misleading and deceptive conduct because the way it was put out. Oliver Yates initially complained to the Electoral Commission about the Chinese language signs which were in the same purple and white colours of the AEC how to vote signage. But he had no luck. Graham Moore, electoral law expert at the University of Queensland, explains why. Well, they had to deal with complaints like this on the day in real time. So their only concern was, should we go to the court and get an injunction to have these signs removed? The AEC said that we don't have uh, intellectual property in the colours purple and white, although I think that's a bit curious given that they have chosen those colours deliberately to be distinctive. So in the end, the signs stayed up and we don't quite know what effect there is, but there are other legal possibilities or consequences. And what are the legal arguments that that Oliver Yates might put before the Court of Disputed Returns? Well, with these things, there's normally two arguments. One is whether the thing was properly authorised, and I do see that those posters were authorised with a, a Liberal Party name, although in very small print in English at the bottom. The other question is not about truth in political advertising, but whether these signs misled people as to how to cast their vote. And there is a prima facie a decent argument that, yes, they looked like electoral commission signs telling people who understood Mandarin that to cast a correct vote, in other words, a valid vote, you had to vote one for the Liberal Party. Now, that's a bit insulting to some people from Chinese backgrounds, but there is a decent argument to suggest that these signs were deliberately designed to try and mislead electors as to how to cast their vote. But what's the real world's possible outcome of any kind of finding by the Court of Disputed Returns that some posters at some polling booths may have affected some voters? What could possibly come from this? Well, it's very expensive to run an election petition, particularly if you lose. If a seat is on a knife edge, you can try and get evidence together there was a breach of electoral law and that breach was likely to have affected the result. But you have to show the result was likely to have affected, not just that 10 votes here and there might have been affected. Uh, The alternative, of course, is to have the Electoral Commission refer the matter to the uh, federal police, but we tend to see very few referrals and even fewer prosecutions in these matters. The uh, time periods for prosecutions are short and the penalties are actually quite low. I understand the signs in Chinese were were used in Kuyong, a very safe Liberal seat, Josh Frydenberg's seat, and also in Chisholm, which was a knife-edged seat with a very high percentage of Chinese-Australian voters. So might an argument be made that 
if there was some kind of finding of misleading and deceptive conduct for the purposes of the Electoral Act, that there could be a re-election in Chisholm, but not in Kuyong. That's right. Have there been any similar cases like this before, which have hit the courts? So certainly on election day in the past, at state and federal elections, we have dodgy how-to-vote cards and signs. I can also think of examples from Queensland, where under optional preferential voting, both major parties at different places and different times would put out signs that looked like the Electoral Commission signs, but with the word, just vote one, to try and minimise preference foes to their rivals. Those signs in themselves were dodgy. No matter, you know, you put an authorisation in very small letters on the bottom, people aren't going to see that. Gullible electors, which is part of the test on election day, are not going to understand that. And these kinds of practices really need to be squashed. One way to do that, which they're doing at state level, is to say you have to register all how-to-vote material uh, weeks in advance. And then there's a time period in which there can be challenges and questions about whether the material is misleading. But I should stress... This isn't about truth in political advertising. This is simply about trying to police misleading people as to how to cast a formal or proper ballot. You're pointing out there that there's nothing in our law that requires truth in political advertising or truth in political campaigning. And and the Libs, for instance, would point to the ALP's Medi-Scare campaign at the, the 2016 election. Not at the national level. Uh, at the state level, say in South Australia, there is a limited offence for materially misleading statements of fact in political advertising. But if you think about that, that only covers paid political advertising. It doesn't cover, for instance, shock jocks or what goes on in the media or party press releases. And it has to be a materially misleading statement of fact. If you think about a lot of political and commercial advocacy, it's not always a statement of claims of fact. Sometimes it's questions of vision. And sometimes increasingly we're getting doctoring of, of digital manipulation of audiovisual material to misinform and mislead people. Well, let's talk about that doctoring of audiovisual material. A huge controversy has just erupted over the weekend in the USA. Tell me about that. Right. So the thing of concern in the US is, for instance, President Trump retweeting doctored audio of one of his rivals, the Democratic Speaker of the House of Representatives. It's been doctored to make her sound like she's slurring her speech. There's no suggestion the president's people did this, but it's circulating on the internet. We want to give this president the opportunity to do something historic for our country while there are those in our family. And it's a clear manipulation. Why would you work with him if he, you know, and, and basically he's saying back to me, why would I work with you? In a less kind of serious mode, we could think about visual images in Australian campaign. And so those hundreds and hundreds of yellow signs of Mr. Palmer, they're all photographed from below showing him very youthful, virile and barrel chested, not up to date photographs. Now that may seem trivial. It's still a photograph of Mr. Palmer, but it has been visually created to try and uh, make people think he's younger and more virile than he is. And this kind of thing goes on all the time in campaigning. How could you judge the truth value of that kind of visual presentation? So there's no real way of, of counteracting both the very kind of serious misrepresentation of Nancy Pelosi or the less serious use of older photos by Clive Palmer. Well, we could. We could craft a law that was about uh, a bit like the old Section 52 of the Trade Practices Act. Are you misleading electors and citizens in an election campaign. But then the question is, well, who's going to apply that law? Because the Electoral Commission doesn't want to be drawn into that kind of political stoush. 
And the question then becomes, well, how do we assign truth value to things that are often puff statements about the future or statements about about vision? Because that's a lot of what politics is about. So the old uh, saying, buyer beware, maybe we should have voter beware. Caveat elector. Uh, <laughs> yes, but I mean, that's not good enough. There are nosy answers because it's you don't want to invoke government level censorship, obviously, in election campaigns. On the other hand, if you just leave it laissez-faire up to the marketplace, we see what's happening increasingly around the world. You get more and more offensive statements, more and more false statements, and any hope that election time might be vaguely deliberative or at least informed is washed away. So we really need to nip some of these things in the bud, including, I would have thought, the Electoral Commission defending its own get-up or brand from people hijacking it. Graham Orr, Professor Law of Politics at the T.C. Byrne School of Law at Queensland University, and he was speaking there via Skype. <laughs> 